Zion bells ringing And there's a source of heat near my feet I'm so weak, I passed in and out of sleep Flashes of light, blotches of color I yell out for help, but it's drowned out by weather Downpour torrential, power of the vengeful This was all triggered by the subconscious central Sweet dreams are hideous, let's not confuse those Bad dreams will find you, confine you to... Welcome to the Damn Woods Wednesday Tekken Games Podcast It's your boys Jake and Chris Hello At it again I've got, uh, you remember uh, Chris from the last time he was on He talked about functional programming And I was on painkillers for two hours It was very exciting Painkillers helped you uh, experience what it's like to learn Haskell, just floating yeah, along no. and not really knowing what's going on. It was excellent. <laughs> so uh, Chris is one of our, one of our friends who who kind of engages in a type of game that Oz and I shy away from because uh, we like to get stoned and play video games and relax. <laughs> and these games are the opposite of that for us. Uh, so. You've been playing like the Souls likes and the I'm assuming Bloodborne and the rest of the related games for a while. Yeah, um, I started with the Soulsborne series with the release of Prepare to Die for PC, the original one, not the recent yeah. remaster. Mm-hmm. Um, that was back in I'm going to get this wrong, 2013, mm-hmm. I think, was when it finally Maybe. came out on PC because it came out like a year or two after it came out on. Um, right. PS3. There's a whole like to do about that, and when it first came out, it actually had like uh, uh, the live for Windows integration. Oh yeah, that's yeah. You remember that where you could like hit the home button on your keyboard and like the little you know Xbox 360 and it would ruin dashboard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that was when I started with the series. It didn't stick for me back then. It was something that I was actually what got, finally got me into the series and then got me to go back and play the previous games was the third one. Nice. The third one looks like a pretty polished game from what I've seen. It, it is, and I'm not one of those, like, you know, originalists or completionist type people about the Soulsborne series. If a friend asks me, like, hey, if I want to get in the series, what should I play? I just tell them Dark Souls 3. I'm not going to tell them to go back to the first one and, like, work their way through every game. Right. I, yeah, I, I've always kind of felt like those games kind of approach story in a very, like, if you're looking for story, you can find it, but otherwise, have fun, idiot. <laughs> well, it's actually, in a way, it's, like, very simple because the way you you pick up the story in pretty almost the whole Soulsborne series, although it's a little bit more complicated for Bloodborne, um, is by reading the item descriptions. So right. you remember how in Resident Evil, certain secrets mm-hmm. would be revealed by like rotating an object around and like looking at some text or something on the back? Right. Right. So they have like the same idea, just kind of like a little more automatic in Dark Souls, where if you read the flavor text on the items, you can actually start to collate the lore in your head and get a sense of oh, what that's happened. Cool. Yeah. That's pretty neat. As like man, it's a it's a it's as a concept, it's pretty neat. Where it's like, like instead of having an obvious narrator, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean I'll take it over like the typical JRPG, like really poorly uh-huh. voiced cutscene thing. Like the the cutscenes yes. were one of the main things that turned me off of Final Fantasy X back when it came out. And oh I, god, yeah, yeah. Jesus. And I, and I was going into that as a Final Fantasy fan, you know, and right. I just couldn't do it. The the voicing was just so bad. I tried to play ten, and uh, yeah, the the cutscenes are definitely like physically painful to engage in. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I'm know not sure if that's there. just like the English translation, or you know what I mean. I, I mean, mean, it's got to be like I don't. I don't know. I don't think it's just the translation. I think it's actually the voice direction is a lot of the problem there. Oh. It's definitely not just the writing. Well, that I'm sure that doesn't help. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. So, like, part of the problem is that I've I've read about some of the experiences translators and like 
native English speaking people have had working in the Japanese video games industry. And mm-hmm. like, basically there's like two layers of authority. There are ah. Japanese people that actually make the decisions. And then there are like native English speakers that take marching orders. And, um, they'll like express opinions, but they may not go anywhere. And they tend to have like very firm structured beliefs about how dialogue should work. And ah. it's really weird. The funny thing is that, you know, kind of segueing into another game that you suggested we might talk about today, Final Fantasy Tactics, some mm-hmm. of the imperfect translation actually came out to be an improvement. When, oh, yeah. when they went back and tried to improve the writing, improve the translation in the remaster-ish called War of the Lines, it actually yeah. ruined the, the, the script, the dialogue. That's funny. Yeah. I've, uh, I think I've, I've, I've played through the War of the Lions version. I've played the PS1 version. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think when I was playing the War of the Lions version, I was distinctly not paying attention. I was just like, tactics game, mm-hmm. whatever, you know. Yeah. So the problem is that the entirety of War of the Lions sounds like a 12-year-old playing Ren Fair at me. And I just uh, like, yeah. can't do it because part That's of the fair. fun of tactics for me is actually the story and just kind of how cool it is. The mm-hmm. reason the dialogue worked for me, the scripting worked for me in the first tactics was because it was just a little bit like off such that it seemed a little bit foreign, but the errors yeah. weren't obviously translation errors. They were just kind of weird. Right. Yeah. So it made like, it seem, yeah, go ahead. Well, it's like, it was like, uh, things got transliterated instead of translated, that kind of a thing. Yes, exactly. So you know what my my favorite analogy for this is? is actually the A Song of Ice and Fire series, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Part of the reason the slightly modified English works in that in that series is because George R. R. Martin didn't try to have his characters like, you know, speaking out of a thesaurus, right? Right. Like they it was familiar words, slightly old-timey sounding, slightly modified spellings, right? Just a mm-hmm. little bit of that smattered throughout. That's essentially what the first tactics had. It was like mostly neutral reading English with just like little weird bits here and there that didn't really like take you out of the out of the moment, right? Sure. And then I liked that they tried to do cutscenes for War of the Lions, but they're not good because now you have those same Renfair lines being read out by a human <laughs> being, which just makes them more intensely painful. So yes, it just I think part of what made the first tactics work again was that you had that just slightly like alien sounding English. And then you had this incredible score on top of it. Right. Like the, the thought mm-hmm. <sighs> fans are going to crucify me for this. Nabuo Matsu did some great work for the final Fest series over the course of his career so far. But mm-hmm. what, what, uh, Iwata and, uh, uh, sorry, I can't remember his name. And Sakamoto, Hitoshi Sakamoto did, for uh, tactics, tactics soundtrack is just out of this world. I actually read this anecdote where Sakamoto was talking about how he was reading the script in order to figure out how to score the scene in the That's game. That's cool. And he he read this one exchange between two characters, and one of the characters said, "I don't understand you." And that was when Sakamoto realized, "Oh, this is a different kind of game. This is like a more mature, like adult game." And he like I. I he was implying, he didn't say it, but he's basically implying that he like took it like very seriously and wanted to really do a good job by the game as a result. And That's I believe cool. he did. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I'm, I have like a threshold for game soundtracks where it's like, I think like the f- first time through, I'll leave it on generally. Mm-hmm. 
but after that i like i turned all sound off in games a lot yeah and uh that's kind of i think i haven't played i have not played through final fantasy with sound since i think emulating on a ps1 in college basically tactics or just any final fantasy game tactics gotcha sorry i uh final fantasy games and i are not the greatest of friends just for me like i'm always just like the the ones I've enjoyed have been like three and five, and because uh, I like I, the job system is fun, I enjoy it. That's fair. Yeah, the story is not like a thing that my brain is like gets invested in with those games. Yeah. Um, but uh, the rest of Final Fantasy, I've just kind of always been very like, yep, okay. I, I didn't play seven when it was out, so I don't have the nostalgia necessary to go play it now. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think I tried, I think I got nine on, I think, you're and Misha's recommendation. Yep. And I actually keep going back to that pretty routinely, but I can only do like an hour, hour and a half at a time before I'm like, all right, we've, JRPG time is done now. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's totally fair. I, I recently beat Final Fantasy IX for the second time, I think. Nice. Um, and I think it took me four or five kind of sprints of activity, like multi-day activity. Sure. And um, it was hardly worth it. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, JRPGs are like a very particular kind of game. Like, even a really good JRPG isn't going to appeal to everybody. It's just how it is. No, it's 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 got its own specific design kind of thing. Yeah. Like, no, I will say, like, listeners, if you are interested in Final Fantasy, if you never played one, 9 is a great one to start with, it seems. Yeah, I enjoyed it immensely. It's available for PS4, PC right now, the... Slightly, yep. very lightly updated version of it available on Steam and on PS4 is pretty good. Uh, uh, you can also get uh, there's there's enough PC mods that like have updated the graphics that are pretty. You know, they're not bad even actually. Yeah. But the 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 modded versions have have updated the graphics pretty substantially. So if that's a if that's a stickler for you, you can fix it. Yeah, I would also say that like the game's art comes through really well despite the technological limitations. Like. It has a very kind of, without being kind of uh, overdone, it has a very drawn. There's literally look to it. a squirrel in my window right now. <laughs> is the it, squirrel telling you to play Final Fantasy? No, he's just. Is it a He's Moogle? climbing my win- He's climbing my window. Does it have like a little red orb hovering above its head? Are you sure it's not a? Moogle? I wish. Uh, no, it's just incredibly stupid. It hasn't learned that this is not an entrance. Um. <laughs> anyway. Uh. I mean, sorry, that was, like, it was just, like, suddenly in front of me, and I'm like, hmm. It's okay, I go through this with my dogs all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so, you, you, I, I agree, the, the art, definitely, the art, the art of Final Fantasy IX comes through very effectively, um, it, it holds up, I yeah. would say. Yeah, that's exactly uh, how I'd put it, yeah. Like, it's, it, it feels, like, the, the backgrounds feel like they have been painted. Yep. And, which is cool, which I assume is the the intent. And, you know, honestly, like, initially I was like, I didn't, like, the, the character sprite design kind of bugged me. But after about an hour, I was just like, don't care. Yep. Like, it didn't, like, it just, like, the story kicked in and it was kind of like, oh, well, this is weird and fun. Mm-hmm. And immediately, like, you get attached to certain characters, like the uh, the Black Mage, obviously. Yeah, no, Vivi's... Uh Vivi's amazing. Fucking Vivi, fantastic. Vivi is that friend of yours that you always want to encourage and like, you know, yeah. cheer on. You're like, good job. 
you weirdo. You're a good person. Um, just wish you'd realize it. Just also, you know, you're capable of destroying small universes. <laughs> yeah. Which is like that's like that was a neat that was a neat just like a uh, juxtaposition, I guess, for like the the character that utilizes nothing but destruction magic to be kind of like the shy weirdo. Yeah. And uh, you're like, all right. It definitely works. I mean, he's he's definitely not as weird as uh, Aiko, though. Like, Aiko kind of has the stalkerish vibe. And she's got that weird balance of uh, white magic and summons and stuff. Yeah. She's a weird one. Yeah. I'll say the weirdest one for me was the blue mage. Oh, yeah. The one who eats people and shit. Or eats things to learn spells. Yeah. uh, Not Quine. Um... Q U, yeah, yeah, you know we know. Yeah, you go it's, to like the Q's marshes and everything to. Yep. Yeah, and you're just like, what's going on here? I guess this is happening now. <laughs> I would actually like to know what percentage of players bothered to max out their uh, like blue magic spells thingies with the Q marsh stuff. That's gotta be nuts. Yeah, I mean, it's gotta be like a time sink. It is. Um, if you look at like a game facts walkthrough, like a fair amount of the okay, we're not doing main quest stuff right now. Now's a good time to go do something at Q's Marsh. You know, like that's a pretty ah. recurring theme throughout the game. And like that's sometimes funny. it's not strictly linear. Like sometimes you have to backtrack or go out of your way mm-hmm. to do it. So it's not like something that'll just come for free. Jesus. Yeah, it's what a- just the way they did side quests back then. Yeah, no, I recall. I uh. I don't know, man. It's like is I think before before three, so before three, five, and like bravely default, like which is you know the the updated three and five with more grinding. Yep. Um, and way more grinding, I should say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the like I came from Baldur's Gate style RPGs, Baldur's Gate and like Fallout, Fallout Tactics, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, those were, that was an odd, that was a weird transition going from those to, and like, you know, I understood how D&D worked at the time. Mm-hmm. So I understood, I also, I understood that, you know, getting fucked over on the rolls was super normal. Going mm-hmm. to a system where it's like, oh yeah, no, here, you're not getting fucked over nearly as often was kind of refreshing. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, the weird thing is I think I read that the first Fall Fantasy was drawing on mm-hmm. some inspiration from D&D way back in oh. the day but clearly like through a mirror darkly it's not right you know it's not D D two no three three and thank a half. god yeah it's uh, like i will you know i'll be the first to say i, lo- I love the Baldur's gate games but D two sucks yeah yeah I, like I, as a rule set is fucking just rough to hit armor class zero is pretty yeah weird. Um, yeah please go away with that it's like, I'm done. it's like the arithmetic version of like uh a sentence with a double negative in it. I think that was why people had such a hard time with it. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's also fucking like, it, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Unless like you, if you have the paragraph explaining it, it's fine. But like the name on it's up is like, you're like, what the fuck does this mean? What's Thaco? Yeah. Why are you like this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Going from like that to, uh, going from that to three in Icewind Dale 2 was like a fucking just a godsend. Mm-hmm. Um 
Because it's like, oh, yeah, no, the armor class is a high number and you want to hit the high numbers. Like, God, yeah, this makes perfect fucking sense. Good job, everybody. High five. (laughs) Yeah, I I have to imagine there were a lot of people who were like maybe 10 when they played Baldur's Gate back when it came out. And they like saw armor with higher numbers like weird. This is like a a beggar's rack, but it has a higher armor class. This is awesome. (laughs) This must be a secret magic item. Yes. (laughs) Must be amazing. Yeah. No, no. Turns out, um, I remember going from, I think we, I played like, uh, I think, I'm trying to think of the last, like they, they stopped doing D and D games for a long time. They were like, it was Icewind Dale two and then a couple years and then Neverwinter Nights and those three games and then the sequel came out and then they went to fourth edition immediately. Uh, you're forgetting Temple of Elemental Evil. I am forgetting that. Holy that was, shit. That was kind of a budget one that went yeah. like, you remember the Walmart, like, cheapo PC video game CD racks that were above the boxed ones where they were just in yes. a jewel case? That's what Temple of Elemental Evil was at my local Walmart. And that came out That's in fair. 2003. Damn. I mm. thought that was way older. No, it, it was actually, Temple of uh, Elemental Evil really did not get the respect it deserved, but Part of the reason was because it was made by Troy Games. Do you remember those people? I don't. Those are the people that did the Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines game that was really buggy. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. So guess what? Temple of Elemental Evil, also really buggy. It was one of those games Super that buggy. had to get fixed by the community. So Oh, God. I think, and it was using 3.5 rules, and it was actually, like, yep. really good. It was a good game, but if it had been, like, made by more experienced developers with a, like, one and a half a times the budget, maybe two times the budget. It would have sure. been like Baldur's Gate 3 effectively, but like right. it, it didn't have the support behind it. And I think part of the reason is because Neverwinter Nights had just come out. Neverwinter Nights yeah. was still 2002. I mean, imagine being that team. Like you're working on what oh, you yeah. think will be the Baldur's Gate 3 of your generation, and then Neverwinter Nights beats you to release. Like how bad does that feel? Oh, uh, it's got to be terrible, especially Neverwinter Nights with like two well well received and usually kind of well widely enjoyed expansions yeah and it had like a pretty active multiplayer community too like people made a bunch of modules and stuff um yep you weren't and there were the there were the premium modules too which one the premium modules you could buy they weren't expansions but they were like shorter three or four hour modules they were based off real dnd modules yeah 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 those are really cool those were neat. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, no, that had to that had to be a real fucking just uh, kick in the dick for the Temple team then. Yeah, I um, when Neverwinter Nights came out, I played both it and Morrowind, but I ended up being more of a Morrowind person. Sure. And then Bethesda like killed Elder Scrolls for me after Morrowind. Um, That's that seems to be the case for a lot of people. Yeah, it's um, I I don't. I don't know. Like, I get what they're going for, Bethesda, mm-hmm. um, in terms of, like, making a widely popular and accessible RPG. Sure. Um, okay, so they're making a lot of money off of the now-ruined Elder Scrolls, because they make, like, a new series or a separate game for the people who like Morrowind or something. Like, they can afford it. I know what their <laughs> budget was on Morrowind. Can you make me Morrowind 2, please? Huh? You can't trick me. Yeah. Make a Morrowind 2 immediately. Yeah, well, um, it's... I mean, it, I don't... At this point, I don't even care if it's in the Elder Scrolls universe. I just want a Western CRPG that isn't mimicking Japanese games, isn't mimicking Baldur's Gate. And that like is fully immersive in like the first yeah. person mode as Morrowind was and doesn't have like an, mm. an excess of the overly gamey mechanics that 
Oblivion and Skyrim had. Skyrim, yeah, no, that's a that is a fair. They are very gamey. So um, go ahead. I'm trying to think, Morrowind. I remember the first time I saw Morrowind, I was at a LAN party, and I, uh, this guy was playing the. He was just fucking around between games, and he was playing the uh, the werewolf expansion. Right. Um, and it looked fucking horrifying. Yeah, the game could actually be legit scary, um, especially when you're dungeon plundering. Because I mean, it was uh, the the second expansion, the one that sent you to Solstheim with the mm-hmm. werewolves. That was called Blood Moon. Yeah. And um, but the, like the original game was scary too. Um, sure, the lighting was set up for it. The fact that like things could actually kill you—they didn't have level scaling in that Elder Scrolls game like they did the later yeah. ones. So like, when you, especially when you first started out in the game, everything was dangerous, right? right. Like almost everything like a could kill RPG. You. <laughs> right, right. And this actually gets into why uh, this actually links up with why like Morrowind, Thought of Fantasy Tactics, and Dark Souls. All of them. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because um, both as your characters get more powerful and as you learn the game better, you can just kind of like break the game wide open and like right. really go wild. So like in Morrowind, if you were really good at uh, at al- alchemy and spell creation, like you, you could just turn yourself into a god. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, just like imagine like the most ridiculous DC Universe superhero. And I mean, <laughs> not in- up to and including Superman. You could, like, turn yourself into that with, like, drinking, like, you know, maybe five potions and, like, making a couple of spells. And sure. I think within a year of me playing Morrowind, I just had spells where I could just walk through a town and kill everybody who's walking outside by just, like, casting it. Just, like, everybody in a 100-meter radius, everybody's dead. Right. Um, and then, similarly, like, Final Fantasy Tactics is really hard when you first play it. But oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. once you learn the mechanics, you can just just do gruesome things to the game. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't just mean like getting far enough in the game to get Orlando. Like there are, um, you know, Nuzlocke in the Pokemon community. Yeah. There, yeah. there are challenges like Nuzlocke for Final Fantasy uh, fans. Good Lord. In mostly in the game facts community, but they're all over the place and they do challenges sure. like that. Like one of the challenges is um, dagger only. Every character is only allowed to use the base dagger. No oh other weapons, which also means like your holy knights are useless. Right, yeah. Because if they're not using a, a knight sword or a, a regular sword, they can't use their uh, abilities. Which part of the reason for that challenge is they're trying to force you off of the story progression difficulty curve, and they're forcing you to develop your regular non-story character jobs in order to figure out how to win the battle. That's interesting. Yeah, um, and then uh, you know when you get into Dark Souls, like it's kind of similar to tactics in that respect, where um, once you know what you're doing, you could just break the game wide open. So one of my favorite challenges that like oh, pretty much anybody who's played Dark Souls 3 can do is, um, have you played anything of Dark Souls 3? Anything at all? I've played like the first, I don't know, for a couple hours. Okay. Did you get the, uh, did you get to the Vord of the Boreal Valley? I don't remember. Ice boss kind of walked around on all fours. Maybe. Okay. Don't know. It's been a long time. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, um, there was a lady opposite him. If you went like across the courtyard of the wall of Lothric. uh, Oh, okay. I know what you're talking about now. Right. So if you go to opposite him, there's a lady there. Yeah. Um, 
if you do something that you're not really supposed to ordinarily do at that point in the game, you can fight a boss at a time when you'll be level 15 to 25. Yeah. That you're supposed to fight at 60 to 75. Jesus. Getting like, you know, like two thirds into the game. Mm-hmm. And um, she's, it's not just that like you're not supposed to fight this boss until later in the game. She's actually one of the harder bosses in, in the base game. The expansions have much harder bosses, but like, She's up there. And, sure. um, but if you kill her, you get tons of souls, which you can spend on mm-hmm. levels, obviously. But mm-hmm. the real reason I went back and did that boss at a low level, I think I was like level 22 when I killed her, is because you get access to an area of the game where you can farm large um, Titanite shards, which lets you upgrade your weapons early. Okay. Now that sounds like a great idea, right? Sure. Why wouldn't I want to get my weapons up to, like, I think Large Titanite takes you up to plus six or something like that? Yeah. I'll tell you why. Because of how the PvP matchmaking works. Remember, oh, no. Remember the involuntary PvP in the game? So I do. I do. <laughs> yeah, so the matchmaking is based not only on level, but on the level of your, your highest upgraded weapon, whether you're using it or not. So you oh, can't no. even put the weapon away. Once you hit, like, plus six, you are now in a, in a plus five, plus six, plus seven queuing tier. So, what kind of person <laughs> is level 25 to 30 with a plus 6 weapon? We have a word for this in the WoW community, right? Mm-hmm. Twink. Twinks, yeah. So, I got wrecked by Twinks for the next, like, four bosses. Jesus Just Christ. Just over and over as I was trying to get through the game. <laughs> Good lord. Yeah. I cannot imagine. That's like, ah, God. Dark Souls like, on hard was, mode. Yeah, I was not a fan. Like, involuntary PvP was interesting um i think yeah that's about the nicest word i can use to describe it um i did i like dude i like i i enjoy watching people play dark souls with the you know the pvp stuff i think it's kind of funny yeah um but holy shit experiencing it like surprise like having it just be like kind of like oh surprise there's an asshole in your realm now and you're like great (laughs) great (laughs) what's going on yeah, no, it's it's bad. Um, I mean, I think basically with uh, with Dark Souls, you just kind of have to accept that you're going to die and lose experience. Oh, yeah. And you just can't totally. get overly attached to it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing else you can do. Um, no, it, that's, that seems to be, like, the, the guiding, like, principle of all those, you know, that kind of game, right? Where it's like, yeah, you, you're going to lose all the things you just worked for for two hours. Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah, it's it's especially bad when you had like a purpose in mind for those next few levels to like help you with something. Or no, the worst is when you're a spellcaster or you have a weapon you can't use yet until you upgrade some stats, and mm-hmm. like you can't wait to use that new spell. And you know you have enough souls to get a level to get you over the hump to be able to use the spell or weapon or whatever. And then somebody Jesus. kills you as you're mm-hmm. on your way back to the bonfire or whatever. And it's just like, oh. why and like for anybody who hasn't played dark souls and doesn't understand once in uh, a a hostile phantom enters your world your instance of the universe you can't leave or use the bonfire you're locked in to that section of the game like a like a uh you know a gladiatorial arena it's a good chunk of the level like yeah there's a long area you can run through but yeah, you're 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 locked in there until one of you dies. And um Jesus. Yeah, so one thing I you can do. Um are you familiar with the seed of a giant tree? 
I'm not. Okay, so anytime you kill a hostile phantom in your world, mm-hmm. so you got invaded, not the other way around. You can't do this by invading other people. Sure. Um, there's a tree outside Firelink Shrine, the home base. Okay. And if you wait a bit, I don't know exactly what the timing is on it, but a seed of a giant tree will fall from the tree. You won't see it. You just kind of got need to like run up to it and mash A or X or whatever. And you'll pick up a seed of a giant tree. Now, what's cool about the seed of a giant tree is it hasn't like worked out for me a bunch of times, but there have been like four or five times where I've used it and been extremely grateful. So what it does is normally when a phantom invades your world, the NPCs, the monsters, ignore them. If you consume or use a seed of a giant tree, the monsters will now be hostile to both of you and they'll aggro on the hostile oh, phantom awesome. now. Yes. So the reason that's especially important is there's certain parts of the game, uh, the the Duke's library, I forget, I think that's the name of it. Grand Duke Archives is what it's called in Dark Souls 1. I forget the name of it in 3. But anyway, whatever the version of the Grand Duke's Archives is in 3, there's areas where hostile phantoms will like sit like right behind the sorcerers, the evil like wizards, crystal crystal mages and it's really annoying and they'll basically kite through the monsters as they harass you but if you use uh sea of a giant tree they'll suddenly be surrounded by a bunch of hostile monsters that'll aggro on them and it's pretty it's pretty funny watching them like run away and scramble to survive if i mean i'll say this it doesn't often work it usually doesn't kill them but just like Mm -hmm. watching them panic is worth it Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm that's a Yeah, I'm familiar with that as a as a concept where you're like, you know, I might not win this, but fuck you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what a sea of a giant tree is. That's you know, you're 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 opening the suicide vest and cackling. You're you're not necessarily gonna <laughs> you're not gonna get any big wins out of it usually. Yeah, no, we've um we've been we've been doing the the world PvP is kind of tending to be like that in WoW because with the the new war mode stuff. Where it's like you, you know, uh, the guy I do world PvP with typically we he's he's demon huntering and I'm warrioring mm-hmm. usually, and um, there's an amount of like fuckery that goes on because like I my warrior is a one of his on his on death thing is he just explodes and does like a huge oh. aura of light damage. Nice. So occasionally that's just a like i'll be like oh there's a crowd of fucking people let's see what happens here and i'll just roll in and you can you get you get a few kill you get a, like you get a little bit of honor that way um but uh it definitely leads to some some real horse shit and we have like uh we we definitely did a little bit of the the two tank pvp which is just mean yeah so I was like Blood DK and he's demon he's Vengeance Hunter, Vengeance Demon Hunter. Yeah, that was a problem in Legion. Is that still a problem in uh <laughs> Oh god, yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, well, it's a problem for anyone who is not the Blood DK or the Vengeance Demon Hunter. <laughs> right, yeah. Okay. Um aggressively not dying at people in battlegrounds is still very funny. Yeah. But in in world it is like you you can do it maybe like you can maybe get like two or three times where you've you just harass people to the point where they either they just run away because they're like, I can't kill you. <laughs> and yeah. you're like, you're you're just chipping away at their health real slow. Uh, and then eventually they just bring back a horde of people and they're just like, all right, <laughs> he's over there. Murder him. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, it was fun while it lasted, fellas. 
Yeah, yeah one, no, the, uh, one problem with BFA for me is that I really just prefer to stick to Horde. I don't really want to Oh, I understand. Um, faction hop. But the problem with staying on Horde is that it is a world PvP-focused expansion, and I play Horde. Now, for anybody who doesn't play WoW, mm-hmm. Alliance has less representation in the official queued PvP stuff. Hugely. Right. But, but, but... Um, they, they, I, I can't even say the word cause it's too rude, but let's just say they run, uh, uh, squads of people that mm-hmm. run around the world and kill people, kill Horde. Yeah. And they're very good they, at that. They seem to have a weird amount of organization around that. I don't really understand like, uh, they're the, usually Twitch streamers. Oh, is that what it is? Cause yeah. Okay. All right. I, I already didn't, didn't really care for Twitch streamers that much, but now I have a new reason. Um, now we have. Now yeah. we hate them for multiple I mean, it, reasons. I especially seem to have problems with Moonguard people. What is it with Moonguard? Really? What is wrong with those people? Moonguard. I don't know, man. Like I'm like Wormrest has a, been a pretty positive experience uh, with the like PvP has been pretty okay for me because I we, we, I don't get involved in the giant gang squads. Yeah. I'm usually just out with one or two other people. Yeah. Um, but uh, I will say this: when the PvP missions are up in in non horde zones. The horde is there, just fucking wrecking shit left and right, and you're just like, oh my god, like to the point where it's like I, I have a my rule is like I do my wow my wow homework in not war mode, and then if I want to go fuck around, I turn on war mode. <laughs> yep. Okay. That I don't think that ten uh, percent bonus in war mode was really worth. It's it. It's not worth it. They, no. It needs to be bigger than that. Um, it does. I. But they're not going to do it. So no, because Blizzard gets fun. Um, yes. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 rough. Um, That's fair. Isn't Moonguard the server all the furries are on? I mean, every roleplay server is kind of the furry server. Okay. Um, is Wormrest the scaly server? A Wormrest is pretty like it's it's the most balanced of the roleplay servers, from what I understand, as far as like factions go. But boy, fucking howdy, is if you if you turn on like the roleplay add-ons. Which I, I definitely have to see exactly what the, the situation is a few times. Uh, there's a roleplay add-on that will show you everyone else using it on the map. Okay. And uh, you can kind of find the hot spots of, uh, of degenerate elf activity, if you will. <laughs> they're uh, they having some eyes wide shut parties out in the forest? It's, or? man, boy howdy. <laughs> it, does it get fucking weird? And like... I will say this: the the horde, uh, the horde RP crowd is a little bit. They tend to be a little more edge lordy, and that's fine. Um, I, I see, like, but like the the alliance RP crowd seems to be somewhere between like like uh, either they're they they have like the the very focused themed RP guilds, which are like oh we're a military guild or we're a blah 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 or whatever, or they're like, oh, we have a casual guild. And then you like you see people in that casual guild out in fucking Elwyn Forest, and you're just like, all right, chief, what's going on here? This is suspicious. Everyone, put your clothes back on. I swear to Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a thing. It's you know, it's 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 definitely. I will say this: roleplay servers are the least toxic environments in World of Warcraft right now. I believe that. As far as like people being kind of sane you're just like all right everyone here knows what knows the score 
And, you know, you don't get approached by randoms to roleplay unless you have one of the roleplay add-ons, typically. Right. Um, I definitely... Josh, uh, one of my buddies, definitely had some people in character ask him to come help them with a rogue that was ganking them. Hmm. And he was like, I almost blocked them because I was being roleplayed at, but I got to go kill a rogue, so I guess it was okay. <laughs> the reason I stopped playing uh, WoW was partly because the rating groups I would link up with. I felt I kind of felt like I had the uh, everybody slower than me as a slugger and everybody faster than me as a psycho problem, like with cars. Yes. Where it, I kept feeling like either people just didn't care at all and weren't really trying mm-hmm. and weren't reading like the guide for the raid instance or the boss or the mechanics or anything. Or they were varying degrees of competent, but extremely critical of everyone else and very mean. And yes. um, that was getting to be a bit tiresome. Because I felt, like, I felt like I was paying $15 a month to play dad to people that weren't actually my own blood. Because mm-hmm. I was mostly playing like tank or healer. Uh, when I raid, I don't, I don't do uh, DPS because it's boring. Um, but yeah, so it's like I'm, I'm doing dad tank for perfect strangers that don't care about me. And it's just like, th- this isn't fun. So no. I just, I, I've been taking a break from WoW since. I had BFA, but I just haven't been playing it. No, that's fair. And also, like BFA is kind of it's kind of a it's 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 definitely got it's it's being called beta for Azeroth for several reasons. Yep. Um. So I um I've definitely so I started tanking this expansion, mm-hmm. which has been interesting. Which class? Um. Uh. Blood DK. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so I'm I'm mostly doing uh Mythic Plus because Mythic Plus is fun. And generally, like, we have a group of three to five at all times. Yeah. But when yeah. we get randos, like, me and uh, me and Josh have definitely had to, like, become the dungeon dads. Yeah. A lot. And it's weird. Because I'm not, I'm not the type to be like, hey, champ, here's how you do this. You fucking, mm-hmm. without calling them a retard, if they fuck it up, like, ten times in a row. But occasionally, yep. you got to just be like, all right, I believe we can do this. We got it. It was good. Mechanics were solid last time. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, all right, everyone, fucking good talk. Let's go not fuck this up. And you're just like, what have I become? <laughs> so I think my my grand unified theory of why I get into games like Tactics and Dark Souls and Bloodborne and things like that is because mm-hmm. there's really like a few different kinds of games I enjoy in terms of sure. like what the kind of the flow or cycle of it is. And I think for the Soulsborne games and tactics and things like that, they're games that start out very difficult, but then, you know, eventually you're just like a little kid, you know, riding down like an iced up hill going wee because it's just like right. you've broken the game that thoroughly. Yeah, and I think, you know, you know the deal. Yeah. And I think I really enjoy that. And I, what I could contrast it with would be I recently rediscovered, and I do this like every three years, I recently rediscovered that I actually really enjoy racing games, and I find them like almost contemplative. Oh, and nice. And it's just like I'm able to just zone in and just completely lose myself in what I'm doing, and I can't really do that in most games anymore. But racing yeah. games are like a pretty reliable way for me to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's been really enjoyable, but it's definitely a different kind of challenge than, than Soulsborne or Tactics, you know? Like, racing's more like, if you can pardon the comparison, it's more like learning a musical instrument. Sure. There are specific performances or things you can do with a musical instrument that eventually become trivial for you. Just like Mm -hmm. a certain track or car, 
whatever oh, can become totally. trivial for you in racing games. But th- there's always more challenge. There's always like more refinement and iteration. So you have to yeah. kind of be in for that. Everybody thinks the Dark Souls and Bloodborne and all that are like that. They're not. Um, that's why you have so many streamers like showing off by beating bosses blindfolded and stuff. I know the game seemed really hard at first, but once you learn the game and learn the mechanics, like Dark Souls 3 especially is subject to this. So Dark Souls 3 has a really good challenge, in my opinion, mm-hmm. in your first playthrough of the game. But your second playthrough is like, you know, you can be drunk, talking to friends, not looking at the screen half the time and still get through it just fine. Um, mm-hmm. You just have to learn the mechanics and become patient. Like the, the biggest problem people have playing Dark Souls is they try to play it like Devil May Cry. They just try to spam like attack at everything. And it's not like that. Right. It's more of a back and forth where you have to like focus on dodging and iframes and things like that. And really right. just focus on not getting hit. Once you can mm-hmm. like not get hit by something consistently, then you can think about hitting them back. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, because uh, you can't yeah. block in that game. It doesn't work. Right. You have to do mechanics. Like, that's that's the deal. Yeah, yeah. just like WoW Raids. It's the same deal. Yeah. Um, technically, there is blocking in Dark Souls 3, just so nobody, like, you know, well, actually is me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You, you mm-hmm. can block in Dark Souls 3. It's just that there's so much damage bleed through and stamina loss on blocking that you basically can't use it as a legitimate strategy to actually beat the game. There are, like, endgame builds that can block, but you're, like, wearing the dad armor with the huge, like, great shield to make it work. <laughs> And you're like building your whole character around it. For contrast, like Dark Souls 1, like blocking was like a solid strategy. Like you could get a good enough shield and not take so much stamina damage that blocking was like okay against a lot of enemies and physical damages and stuff. But in 3, it's just like not a thing. So Mm. you just have to learn to dodge. Like the iframes are your life in that game. Sure. No, that's fair. That's a uh, that's a thing. So I will say one thing in favor of BFA this, ex- this expansion is the dungeons have mechanics you can't just face roll. Yeah, you had mentioned that to me recently. I, I find that really interesting. And you you said you thought it was tutoring people better before they get into the mythics and raids, right? It kind of is uh, okay. to a degree. Like we still there's still like the percentage of people who show up in a mythic plus who are like, "What do you mean this boss does a thing that you actually have to get away from?" Shit, you know, but. For the most part, when you get people in in M plus and and less less so in LFR, because uh, <laughs> LFR is LFR still. Yep. But as you get people in uh, Mythic plus, the amount of people who are familiar with the mechanics from the Mythic zeros and the heroics and the normal, like because that's the way they've been doing. It, it's like normal has one mechanic, heroic has three, Mythic zero has five. Or mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like that's nice. That's a good. That's a good way to do it. And it, it's, I am like we have like, you know, we have to CC mobs. You have to like learn like there's there's add-ons that are now like dungeon route planner add-ons for Mythic Plus. Wow. So it's like you can you can be like all right we can go up here time this pat skip all these mobs attack this one from the back fight the boss move on and we've shaved six minutes off the run. Mm-hmm. And shit like that. And it's like, that's kind of cool. And like, it's enjoyable. Like, that's like, that is a fun part of the game for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it is making randos less bad. That's good. That's really There's good. There's still a healthy chunk of randos who are disgusting randos who should be, you know, thrown from the, the coast with trebuchets. But. <laughs> yeah, it's like that biblical anecdote where Jesus says the poor will always be with us. The randos will always be with the us. The randos. <laughs> 
It's true. It's yeah. super true. <laughs> um, but uh, they, you know, like I said, like the, the amount of people who have been in random queues from M plus that have been good have been, it's been, it's been higher. And I, I like that. I'm okay with it. Cause Legion dungeons were very much like, once you get geared, you face roll. Yeah. Like, there's like two or three bosses I can think of with mechanics that wipe a fucking dungeon run. And that's only if everyone fucks them up. Yeah, I mean, I'm guilty of that, like, as a tank doing LFRs and normals in Legion. Oh, sure. Like, once my tank got geared up enough, it was just like, you know, well, you know, yeah. I'm, not, I'm barely paying attention. I don't care if anybody dies because, like, I'm not going to die anyway. So I, whatever. I generally only main classes that let me do that at least once a run. So I understand. Yeah. Like I was, you know, I went from rogue to warlock to blood decay. Yeah, that's that's also why I stopped playing WoW though, because that's fair. My part of my problem with it is that the whole reason you're even willing to like sleepwalk through a dungeon or a raid is because you're only there to gear up to do the interesting content, right? And right. I I don't know if I'm going to get back to WoW by the end of BFA or not. I honestly don't know. I I have to oh, be in that's... kind of a mood to play WoW and Legion's Legion's endgame kind of burnt me out, so. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no! It, I think it it kind of did that to every like we were heroic raiding in Endgame mm-hmm. in Legion, and now we are not. We are just doing M plus and a, a little bit of PvP. Yeah, and that is yeah. honestly like obviously I'm also still doing market PvP because that's how it works. But like you know, I I I I have found that I am enjoying WoW much more now. I can just go like you know hunt for a pet, look for a mount. Mm-hmm. And I, I run a couple Mythic Pluses a week, and that's it. And that's it's nice. The main games I've been playing lately, um, I was playing Rainbow Six Siege and nice. a couple other things with friends up until uh, two, three, four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And lately what I've been playing is Gran Turismo Sport. Man. Because it is... it's. I like the feel of the driving in the Forza series better, Forza Motorsport and Horizon. Especially sure. since the new Horizon, um, if you have an Xbox One X, you can actually play it at 60 FPS, which is really nice. The nice. Motorsport's always 60 FPS, but Horizon wasn't traditionally because it was like an open world racing game. And mm-hmm. I don't know how much racing games you've played, but 60 FPS is kind of kind of necessary <laughs> for that kind oh, of game. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. For um, for for yeah for newer stuff, yeah. So GT I, uh, Sport. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I I we used to play the. Um, Grand Turismo 1, 2, and 3 were, like, very yeah. common in our college dorm, etc. Oh, that era so of life. Yeah, I, I, I basically completed, like, all, almost all of 2, the Grand yep. Turismo 2 for PlayStation. Like, I still miss how many weird cars were in that game. And you could just, it like... It was definitely strange. Oh, you could buy an absolute beater off of the used car market and then just soup mm-hmm. it up. And that was yep. so much fun. Um, it was, yeah. It was a very enjoyable loop, I will say. You know what I mean? Yeah, they definitely mastered, like, the car racing as RPG kind of genre. In fucking, like, 2001. Yeah, yeah. Which is, or maybe even sooner than that. You know, it was earlier than that, because 2001 would have been uh, Gran Turismo 3. 3. So, like, GT1 was the launch title for the DualShock controllers. Yeah. And then GT2 was, like, a year or two after that. Yeah. Yeah, it Um, was, like, two discs, I think. GT2 was, yeah. GT was two discs. Yeah. We, yeah, we played the fuck out of that. We played. I mean, then when three came out, we were like, I remember my friend bought a PS2, and mm-hmm. 
three came out and he was like, hey, I haven't played Gran Turismo three yet. I just bought it. Let's have a fucking hangout party where we play GT three. And like at the time I was fucking floored with the graphics. Yeah. Because like Gran Turismo three was a pretty fucking game at the time. Yeah. And it was just like going from two, especially. (laughs) You wouldn't think so. But those games like the single player was actually a really good kind of past controller experience. Partly because you had, because of the RPG mechanics that they had with like earning money, buying better cars, upgrading your main car, that kind of thing. Um, You had a lot of races to do. You just had a lot of races to grind out. So if you Mm -hmm. had like two to four friends just kind of sitting around, you could take turns on the different races to like advance the license challenges, unlocking cars or whatever. And then like the other friends could like, you know, grab snacks, hang out, whatever. Yep. And that was like a really good experience. We ended up doing that a whole lot. It was real nice. It was, um, this is the same group of friends. We had one guy in that group who could fucking, like, I shit, like, he's like a normal fucking, like, a regular ass dude. But, like, he could play the hard, like, any old NES Tetris. He'd play, like, the hardest NES Tetris, completely shit faced and barely looking at the screen, like, engaging with us. And just like, yeah, I'm doing fine. And we're, like, all of us, like, whenever it happened, it was always just like, what the fuck is going on right now in the room? <laughs> wow. It was one of those like weird, like te- like he was like this weird, super specific Tetris savant. He wasn't a dumb guy by any means, but it was like, you know, why he was this? that good at Tetris. What is happening? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's super weird. That was the same group of dudes who had, who bought a, a, like a, a fully like teacher's room sized whiteboard to track the, uh, the league that they made for fucking risk. Wow. I can't and imagine getting that much into risk. The mechanics get a little annoying as soon as people start really trying. So I just like never got yes. that much into it. It was, uh, the, I think, well, you know, it was, it, it was the early two thousands and it was Alaska. So it was kind of like, yeah, well, <laughs> it's extremely cold. Let's go to fucking Thomas's get drunk and play risk. Yeah, that's fair. And uh, that is what happened a lot. But yeah, no, that was... Uh, I remember like, the last time I, I was there for Risk, uh, there was definitely a table flip. Wow. And I was like, all right, it was very exciting. Good times. Someone, like, they... they uh, Like, you know, the tactic of, like, go to Australia and fuck over everyone forever thing. Because you bottleneck, like, two continents. Yeah. Yeah, that happened a bunch. And I was just like, man, this is going to end very poorly in a second. And I was just like, cool, we're out. And yeah. Yeah, I like to think of starting in Asia as, like, the guy in the mosh pit that's just, like, cartwheeling around his arms. Like, that's that's what an Asia starts like. That's, you know, that's a very fair descriptor of a a risk player who starts in fucking Asia. Like, he's, yeah, the karate kick guy. Yeah. Who just, the music isn't even started and he's already going. You're just like, calm down. But we all know. (laughs) We all know what this is about. (laughs) Yep. So That's the reason I, I got into Gran Turismo Sport is because it has multiplayer, just yeah. like Forza has multiplayer, but Gran Turismo Sport, it has a campaign, but nice. it's not emphasized, if I'll put it that way. Oh. I've heard it's very good. I've never played it. I've only played the multiplayer. And it has a much oh, cool. smaller crop of cars. Um, the track selection mm. is definitely getting better, as is the car selection. Like They've been continually adding content to the game since it came out for free. Mm-hmm. There's no... DLC or expansions or anything like that because that's they want, fucking cool. They want everybody to be playing in the same league. Like it's a very serious. Like imagine if 
I mean, it, it, it's clearly like an esports play, right? Like that's what they're trying to do. That'd be fucking. But they're, but they're doing a good job of it. Like they're not. Yeah. Like, there's no pay to win. There's no like. You know, you gotta like. You know, you can definitely pay for the cars with real money, but you don't need to because you make money off of racing, and like the amount of money you make off of racing is fine. Um, that's good. And it, it, there's only so many classes of car as well that you need to unlock to be able to race. Mm-hmm. And you can also look at the record times for every race in every class. So when you go to do a race, if you don't know what car to get, you can check the top times and see what, like, you know, definitely what cars perform well. Yeah. Yeah. And then you don't get screwed over. Right. And then the reason I like it so much is because the game is focused very much on clean, fair racing. Unlike Forza, Mm -hmm. Forza has no sportsmanship system. So what that means is, um, (laughs) When you play Forza multiplayer, it is absolute carnage. Like, people are playing it like Destruction Derby or Twisted Metal or something. Like, they're just ramming sure. each other. There's, like, people who, like, don't understand that you have to break into a corner. Like, they don't even know what a breaking point is. They've never oh, touched a break. God. People who touch brakes, you know, aren't real men or something. Right. And um, There's they only just, like, one button on this controller, and it's like yeah. a gas, sir. Yeah, <laughs> and they just, like, rock it into your rear end and, like, send you off the track, and there's, like, nothing you could have done. So, Great Race of Sports, not like that. They have a driver rating, which is basically how fast you are, based on your average times. And then they also have a sportsmanship rating, and you get bonuses to your sportsmanship rating when you have a clean lap and, oh, or cool. a clean section, and you don't touch anybody, and you stay on mm-hmm. the track. And... If you bump somebody, or even if you don't touch them, if you like intentionally block them, the game knows and it hits your your sportsmanship rating. And oh, cool! If you do something sufficiently bad, which happens a lot every race, um, you'll actually get a time penalty where you have to slow down and hit the brakes and let the clock count down on your penalty. In order so to like make real it go racing, <laughs> yes. And then the penalty, whatever penalty residual penalty you didn't work off that will actually uh, count against your final time, which could cause you to lose the race even if you were in first place. So the penalty system is also like you're kind of gaming it because you're trying to go as long through the race as you can so that natural breaking and cornering shaves like milliseconds off of your penalty, but you're probably still going to need to find an opportunity to work it off if if your cornering strategy isn't incorporating enough reduction there. So Mm -hmm. then um, you just focus on having clean laps. And it's just a much more fair, consistent system. You can't tune your car to win. They generally mm. have a BOP for the races. There are might be exceptions, but I've never played one like that. So basically, um, they have a class of cars that is accepted into most of the races. Some of them are single make. Some of them are like everybody's using the same model of car. Sure. But usually it's just like a class, like an N200, N300, GR2, right. GR3, GR4, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. then um, if you don't know what like GR2 is, imagine like, you remember the the Scudo Pikes Peak in, in Gran Turismo 3? Yeah. Yeah. GR2 is like approximately that. <laughs> okay. And then, um, you know, like the kind of stock car, super fast, like not quite Formula One, but kind of getting there kind of car. Mm-hmm. And then um, within that class, you can use any car you want, but then to make it even more fair, the BOP system automatically tunes the weight and horsepower of the car so that there is close as they possibly can be. Hmm. There are still cars that are like generally get the best times, but some of that has as much to do with the ergonomics of what it's like to drive the car as it does the actual performance. That's cool. Yeah. And it's like very fun. Um, I, I, it's harder for me to get into that flow state in a multiplayer racing game though. I will admit that. So I have an easier time getting into that with like Forza Horizon. 
Sure. No, I'm honestly like, I, I'm trying to think. Like, I played, let's see. I was, the, the Need for Speed games, the more recent ones, I should mm-hmm. say. Not like the last, whatever like the last few PC ones were. Uh, like the most wanted, the goofy, like they're fairly arcadey. But those mm-hmm. are definitely games where I could like turn off my brain and just drive around in. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I could just do races in, and that was like that was I I liked that. I'm I am a fan. And I kind of wish there were more PC games that went le- like leaned that way. Yeah, um, I think the last Need for Speed game I really liked was Need for Speed Wanted. Um, the, yeah, oh, most most wanted the 2011 one. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, I I yeah. really enjoyed that. I liked uh, Need for Speed Underground one and two. Those were fun. Oh man. I yeah. mean, who do, you cannot find me a person on this planet who doesn't love those games because they're incredibly stupid and they're great. Yeah. Born, born just a like, little too slow. Remember that track on the soundtrack? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Those uh those were fun games. I, I kinda wish racing games were more popular. It seems like they were more of like they represented a larger fraction of the gaming audience, you know, 10, 15. Yep. 2020 years ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Remember, 20 years ago was 1998. And that was the PlayStation yeah. era, not even PlayStation 2. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah. Fucking old. Christ. Yeah. Thousands of years old, turning to <laughs> dust before our very eyes. Yeah. Racing games. I tilted, um, I tilted my head in front of a mirror under my bathroom light last night, and like the, the sheen, the shininess of my gray hairs came out. Almost like my head mm. was uh, Edward Cullen from Twilight Skin. Like it was like, oh, no. sparkling. I was like, oh, God, I'm getting ancient. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the scene from <laughs> The Last Crusade all over again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, my eyes are popping out and my flesh Withering is away. Yeah. <laughs> You've chosen poorly. Yeah. Uh, how did you get in here, Sir Knight? <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, no, I definitely feel that pretty routinely. I uh, I recently started trying the the new Pathfinder game. Mm, yeah, I heard about that, but I haven't played it. So, it's the normal difficulty is a one to one recreation of Pathfinder rules. Okay, which gets pretty fucking wild if you know how to build your character. <laughs> if you don't know how to build your character, holy shit, does it look like it sucks for a lot of people? <laughs> what uh, what what'd you go with your character? I have, sorry, uh, I have definitely started multiple times, but my last, the one I stuck with was a uh, ranger. Okay. Because um, I was like, you know, I've never played a ranger in Pathfinder. We'll see how this goes. It'll be fun. Mm-hmm. And I like, I like, uh, I kind of enjoy having ranged characters and CRPGs like that occasionally. Like my... My Pillars of Eternity playthrough, which I need to go through, like, the bulk of the game. Pillars 2, I should say. I'm I'm playing a uh, dual pistol-wielding fella. I forget what class. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's kind of a fun... It's a fun bit. I enjoy it. Like, thematically. Maybe mechanically it's whatever, but, like, thematically I enjoy it. Can I briefly Um, gripe about my local Pathfinder society? Please do. Okay, so... I was trying to find like a good way to get like consistent pen and paper games in, and Pathfinder I, Society is not that. <laughs> yep, yep, that's what we're going to talk about. So, um, I'm I was open to like either Pathfinder or D and D five e. I didn't really have sure. like, a strong opinion on the other way. I'm not like our friend Dolores, who is like no. the lore master, lore mistress she, of. 
She she definitely has a lot of very strong opinions about <sighs> role playing game systems. Right. Whereas like these games for me are like a mixture of challenge and anecdote generators. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's oh, what I totally. want. Totally. Yeah, I want like green text experiences. Yep. And um, so I went to our local PFS and I went for like, I think five or six sessions and then I stopped. And here's why. First Mm -hmm. thing is I went in as a fighter, uh, slightly tanky focused, but there's not that much difference when you're low level anyway. No. And part of the reason I went in is because like I remembered, okay, the kinds of people who do this are all going to be playing mages. So I should probably go in as like just a (laughs) fighter. And I turned out to be right, but I turned out to be more right than I ever expected because oh, no. I wasn't even playing with wizards. Like nobody was actually an ordinary wizard unless they were playing one of the template characters and they were new to it. Everybody right. was like this edgelord, like a addenda book, like oh, no. magic user, but never a normal magic user, never a wizard or sorcerer, right. like some weird thing. I can't even remember what. I'm and a magic it, user, but I have feelings. Yeah, I, I think like the one of the most normal like people I played with was um, he was a ranger, and I played a couple games with him, and I was like always happy to see him, but we didn't always end up in the same game. So mm-hmm. the problem with PFS is it felt like I was playing with munchkins that figured out how to use an abacus, and yep. um, that wasn't really fun for me. Like no, I I don't know. I, I, I don't want to like play pen and paper games with goblins that are just looking to maximize numbers. And part of what makes frustrating agree. is if you haven't... Let me frame Pathfinder Society for your listeners that haven't done this before. I apologize. So mm-hmm. the way Pathfinder Society works is that it is a structured, official way to play a Pathfinder that is uh, sanctioned by the company that makes Pathfinder, that makes the rules Paizo. and the books and everything. Paizo, right. And the way it works is it's almost like they've turned it into like a real-life MMO kind of where you do the, the the like mission you just spend one one evening on one mission at a time and you sign up for the missions available at your local game store that fit your level range and they scale the scenarios for like the mixture of levels and stuff that are of mm-hmm. people that are doing it and it's usually a party of like three to six just like any other kind of D campaign or pathfinder campaign sure. and then you get like basically three you get a credit towards a level after you do the mission it's usually like three credits to a level and then you get some gold and you can like extract extra income if like your part of your backstory includes a job or something like that and then you might get loot as well so the way their structure is like they're like they're almost like a a very typical kind of Baldur's gate style quest where there's a main quest objective and there's a main reward but often if you go like that little extra mile and you figure something out special or you avoid some kind of trap you can get bonus loot right sure so that's the the general structure and flow of it the problem is so i'm a fighter with enough um charisma that i just kind of end up being the face of the party Mm -hmm. the problem is i'm the face of a party of magic munchkins who don't want to do any of the social stuff or side objective stuff to figure out what's actually going on they just want to like go to the fight and kill the things and collect their you know credit and leave Mm -hmm. and that just wasn't very fun and then like even from like a progression or advancement point of view it wasn't optimal because we kept missing side objectives because people would get impatient and we would have like a rogue or a ranger or somebody who could do like checks for traps and things like that for us and they still wouldn't like even wait for them to do that and then they would walk into something or misapprehend a situation um Mm -hmm. one example was there there were two routes we could take 
in a dungeon, or sorry, in a cave. And we ended up letting somebody die that didn't need to die. And one of our party members actually suggested, like, hey, should I, like, scout ahead a little bit and see what's going on first before we potentially engage an enemy? And part of the reason you want to do that isn't necessarily just to, like, look for a tactical advantage against the enemy. It's to make certain there isn't something else in the situation or scenario that might be a side objective that you want to grab before the fight begins. Because often, once the fight ends, the way the dungeon master is going to do it is they're going to say, ah, well, this other thing happened and you weren't there to prevent it or, or save them or whatever, so now they're dead or gone or whatever. And that kept happening. And it was like, okay, I understand you guys are focused on progression, but you aren't even, like, you don't have the continence to achieve your own ends mm-hmm. of, like, getting more stuff. So it's just, I got tired of, like, getting rushed through the social stuff and never really being very careful about anything. So it's like, all right, this plus like they weren't, I met some really nice people at my local PFS. I will say that like the organizers Mm -hmm. and a lot of the players were really nice people. They just were looking for a very different experience out of it than I was. So I just gave it up. I mean, they sound, you know, I'm just going to say it's a lot like random cues and wow. (laughs) Yeah, no, I actually, I hadn't thought of that, but that's exactly what it is. It's like, LFR or Heroic Dungeons, you know, cute dungeons, and uh, wow, it's exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Just, they, they want the thing, but they aren't willing to invest to get more of the thing, you know? It's really <laughs> weird. Mm-hmm. I understand this completely. I yep. uh, I have not done the, I like, I, the idea of playing a role-playing, a pen and paper game with fucking total randos is very off-putting to me. <laughs> Because it's like a thing, it's like, you know, you're playing with people, either people you know or people who know people you know. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like that's like the best way to kind of end up in a game. Like, I'm in a game right now with, um, like, two dudes who I played Pathfinder with and two of their friends. Yep. Or three of their friends now. And that's great. That's fine. Because, like, I'm like, I assume that the people, if you, I'm friends with these two dudes and, you know, loosely, uh, you're loosely associated with one of them and I'm, I'm friends with the other. And I, I figure if like these two dudes know you, you're probably not a garbage person. Right. And that, that assumption has worked out. Okay. So far. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah no, no with, with fucking just randos, it's like, all right, you've, I mean, it's randos, rando Calrissian over here. The, uh, the, the double goth sorcerer, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's a it's a huge problem and i mean like that's i don't know i feel like the moba genre has kind of a related problem that manifests differently where your enjoyment of a moba match is highly contingent on what the other people do and i think that's why people get so mean yeah in in those games like you're you you constantly even if you're wrong even if your apprehension the situation is wrong and you're actually the boat anchor dragging the team down uh-huh. you'll still feel like you'll blame every mistake on the rest of your team. And it just puts people in a really evil and hateful mindset. And that's why I stopped playing MOBAs, even though I've been playing Dota since like Warcraft three. Same. Um, and I also, yeah, also, yeah, I, I, I like I play, I remember playing Dota. Dota was fine. Yeah. Um, cause it was still a small community. And it was like, whatever. And there was minimal, like if you didn't get into like real weird high end games, it was fine. You're just like, yeah, this is what people I know. We're playing a thing and whatever. I think it helped that it was a, a custom map because yeah. it made it so people took it less seriously. 
Yep. It was not an official game. There's no league rankings. Once you added league ranking, it's like, holy shit. Crazy. <laughs> the, the crazy has come out, folks. Yeah. MOBA communities. No, not even once. Like yeah. I, told, I was like, I've, I think I've told the story on here before, but like I was in, I was at um, PAX for the, the, one of the bigger League of Legends World Championships. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember being like, like being, you know, like, like, oh, this is the kind of crowd that watches MOBA games. And then I'm like, I wonder how many of them play MOBAs. And I'm like, I'm like just going through picturing this entire crowd just being completely fucking insane. And I'm like, I'm going to leave this room because everyone here is probably a nut job. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's proven correct more often than not. But yeah, no, I can't. I couldn't see playing fucking MOBAs at this point. Seriously, anyway. Um, it's like it's. Like, I don't play Overwatch unless I have a group of everyone I know, Yeah. generally, at this point. Yeah. Like, because Overwatch kind of brings that out in people. Yeah. Which is hilarious, because it's fucking Overwatch. It's a, you know, anyway. Yeah, I can't, I, I, I've played Overwatch with you, and I've played mm-hmm. it with other friends of mine. And yeah. I can be, I can be convinced to play it, but I really don't, because... It yeah. reminds me too much of TF2, and what I don't like about Overwatch, I don't like about TF2. Oh, I like sh- I like shooters, but I like shooters that allow an individual to guide the outcome of a battle more, mm-hmm. and that rely more on traditional FPS skills. So That's I like fair. Rainbow Six Siege, Counter Strike, Geo, right? Um, uh, some of the more like simulationy shooters, like Squad, things like that. Yeah, that's fair. Right. So like. I like those games. Um, I've tried to like Overwatch. It's it's a little too rock paper scissory for me, and that's, I also that's feel like I can't entirely reasonable. I feel like I can't rise above the situation in um, in Overwatch and like save oh. my team. That basically almost never happens, and I think it basically can't unless you're like a pro player amongst scrubs. Like unless there's that, a huge skill skill differential. Yeah, that that is kind of a thing that I like. That is a fair criticism of overwatch i uh i once so my how i deal with that personally is one i play junk rat yeah and uh that leads me to basically be able to not care about anything because i can i'm like hey you know what i'm gonna go landmine their dps for the next 10 20 minutes and i'm gonna have fun and buddy i'm gonna have golds because of it and uh we might not win but i did my job so for my job is to go ahead for contrast when I play mm-hmm. CSGO like a good match a good match mm-hmm. for somebody is like going maybe you know like 15 and 10 20 and 10 maybe sure. 25 and 10 so yeah. 25 being kills 10 being deaths yeah. and then um, I've had In matches KDR. where I went 47 and 6 Jesus and Christ that is just so rewarding and you know this is a game that you know you whoever hits 15 16 wins first uh wins the whole match so i was averaging like three kills every round and i was getting like team team i got more than one team wipe uh Mm -hmm. enemy team wipe where i was like the last person alive on my team and that's like that makes the whole game and any toxicity in the game worth it for me like i'll deal with the occasional like you know screaming pygmy in that game for that occasional yes. experience that never happens in overwatch like even if i'm getting all golds with a character in overwatch we'll still lose like there's nothing oh, totally 
I can be way outperforming and just no impact. Just doesn't yep. matter because people are like not paying attention. If to they're the not objective. doing the objective, they're not. Yeah, no, totally. Right. One hundred percent. That is definitely a problem. But I also like I, I do not seek out the uh, the like the hyper advanced like you know like Rainbow Six Siege, fun mm-hmm. game. I play it. I I think I played it for like three months, and then I was like, yep. I've had my fun here. <laughs> I think I'm done. Yeah. Because like the the skill ceiling for me was like when you can't what if I can't play a game stoned or drunk, I'm like, all right, we're out of here. <laughs> and siege, I am universally useless as soon as any intoxicant enters my body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Siege is uh, pretty tricky with that. Uh, for some reason, Counter Strike isn't as sensitive to that for yeah. me. Like I don't need to think about like, okay, it's my is my caffeination level like right on par for this or do I need to like go to tea or, you know, I, I have to do that for rainbow six. I'd say the biggest like skill ceiling problem in rainbow six is that once you start, cause I, I'm like gold rank in rainbow six siege uh, ranked player. It's, it's not super high. I'm, I'm like, I'm above the middle percentile, but I'm not like super high. Um, okay. but you know, I have my, my moments of glory occasionally in that game and the problem is that basically if you want to get above gold tier in Rainbow Six Siege ranked multiplayer, it's all map knowledge. And it's like a, a, a type of map knowledge that basically means you have to watch pro players. You have to learn oh. the strats. You have to learn to anticipate what kind of strats people might use on you. Because even if you're not going to execute those strats yourself, you need to know what strats are popular right now so that you know what the other team might do right you have to be able to anticipate it otherwise if right. you have like an unexpected strat deployed on you in that game um you're just gonna lose like any any strat that surprises you is probably gonna cause you to lose that round right sure so um i'm not into that i don't want to watch pro games that's not no. something i find fun not so i can learn to play <laughs> right yeah not so i can like just get good at the game like that's that's ridiculous like people watch moba and get some strats out of it but it's not really vital like most mm-hmm. people in most mobas would benefit from just getting better at farming and like last sure. hitting and like just basic mechanic stuff starcraft 2 is the same way you can pl- you can watch starcraft 2 pro play to get better at the game but let's be honest most people are just bad at macro and they need to focus on that you know, macro and StarCraft 2 being like you're keeping your econ growth up and things like that. Sure. Um, but it, but in Rainbow Six, like, you know, all else being equal, like, you know, your your Twitch skills on the shooting and stuff, like, you got to learn the maps and you got to learn the strats. Like, the game is very positioning based. Like, my reflexes aren't even that good anymore. I'm 30 years old, and I know that's mm-hmm. not very old, especially for most people, but my reflexes are not what they were, you know, when I was 15 and playing Rainbow Six Three Raven Shield. Right. I can't right, win right. that way. I win by having the jump on people and having better positioning and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd say that's like a fair critique of Rainbow Six. It's uh, it's a game you got to kind of like, you know, take a couple deep breaths, like get ready and, you know, be ready yeah. to go. You, you can't just like play it for the sake of playing. And I think that's actually why I wish arena type shooters would be more popular. Um, I guess Call of Duty is like the closest thing to this now, where it's just like a team deathmatch mode, you know? Yeah. Because what's nice about those games is that you don't have to play at 100% and you can still mm-hmm. contribute to your team, right? Like as long as your totally. KDR is, is above one. You're contributing. <laughs> you're contributing. That's it. You know, you don't have to like, you know, be Captain Captain Falcon saving the day, right? Like you can mm-hmm. just 
do your thing, have fun. And, you know, people don't really generally get really fractious or mean with each other in those games. Um, no. That's actually why I'm considering playing Black Ops 4 when it comes out. Because I would just like to have a shooter where I can just kind of go in, mess some people up, have some fun, and then shut it off. Sure. I mean, that's what Overwatch is for me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Overwatch is not a game I'm, like, super... Like, obviously. Right, I'm right, not super right. serious about Overwatch. Right. Um, and and that, that's why I get why you play it. Like, you know, that that's... Yeah. Call of Duty, in this case, would basically just be my Overwatch. Sure. Sure, sure. Totally. No, that's reasonable. I have... Uh, I think, was it Battlefield and Call of Duty are both going to incorporate a uh, fucking, whatchamacallit mode? Oh, yeah, the Battle PUBG Royale mode. thing. Um, yeah, Battle Royale I, mode. I played the Battle Royale beta for COD Black Ops 4. There's too many things in the name now. Mm-hmm. I'll just say this year's COD. Um, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so um, I played it, and it uh, it felt uncanny. So for anybody who doesn't know, I, I play PUBG, or did. I don't really right now, but I, but I did for quite a bit, and I... Mm-hmm. I actually got pretty good at PUBG. I got into the top 5% in the world rankings. Damn. Um, it, it's, it's easier than you think. Um, if, you, <laughs> if you're willing... No, seriously. Like, you don't have to be an ace at FPSs to get good. If you think of the game as a scouting game first and a shooting game second, that will already like put you way ahead of the game. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I got in the top like 5% in PUBG, and I, I was like decent at it, but... So going from PUBG to the Battle Royale and Call of Duty was really rough. It definitely felt weird because the movement mechanics and the way the guns work is definitely designed for the smaller, more confined, more kind of team deathmatchy maps. And none of that was changed for the Battle Royale mode. So a lot of the fights in the Battle Royale mode are like, you know, you're, you're like three, four times the usual engagement distance of a fight that the game is designed for. And you're just... You're firing full auto, um, and like you're just kind of getting probabilistic hits on the enemy at distance, right? right? And it's just like, you know, you play it like PUBG, basically. It's not really wildly different from it in that respect. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely, I think the, people are going to hate this, but I actually think the awkwardness of the gun handling in PUBG helped it to work better because it made it, it made it, more possible for somebody to survive an encounter where somebody gets the jump on them without it being an outright unfair like you started shooting me i started shooting you and somehow i won right like you can actually like juke somebody and just not get hit um that's much harder in call duty because it's like a much tighter like smoother kind of game mechanically so it's just like it's whoever sees who first at close range and then at long range it's like all right this dude's shooting at me and I'm like walking away from it like it's a Looney Tunes episode or something, right? Like it's it's really weird. Um, I wild. see what they're going for with it. I don't know. I haven't played the Battlefield one. I don't know what that's yeah. like, but I, I don't think yeah. it fits Call of Duty. Well. I, I think they like Battlefield. I think they delayed release for like a month because of uh, some stuff. But either way, it's it's going to be interesting. To, like I'm kind of interested to see how the battle because there's fucking battle royale everything you know what i mean that yeah. is the new hotness for yeah the last year yeah i've noticed i mean fortnite is fortnite and everyone you know fucking Fortnite. like let me put it this way my local radio station mentioned fortnite in an ad in fairbanks alaska oh, that's that's some brain hurting juice right there uh-huh you're welcome yep thanks yep um 
but yeah, no, that'll be. I don't know. It'll be. I'm like I'm. The likelihood of me playing a Call of Duty game or a Battlefield game at this point is pretty low, just because yeah. I kind of like. I don't really give a shit about like Battlefield's. Like, hey man, remember World War Two again? And I'm like, no, don't care. Do not care. They're like, I played 1942, enjoyed it. Don't need another World War Two shooter in my life. So um, I played the Battlefield Five beta and. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Okay, so mm-hmm. I like it better than Battlefield 1, but sure. But I played 1942 on the PC back when it first came out, and same. they aren't capturing the same joy or fun of those games. It's just not as good. And Which is part of the, yeah, hilarious. No, that's, that's funny. It's like, I mean, like, you know, I mean, I recognize that 42 came out in what 2002 something like that yeah it was, it was around the same time as morrowind and neverwinter nights i actually remember like tech tv talking about those games around the same time yeah yeah and it's i get what they're going for they're trying to make a game that has kind of the same close quarters kind of mechanics and flow as call of duty mm-hmm. but then i mean to be fair like battlefield does do a better job of the mid to long range combat Totally. Call of Duty does. I. I mean, they uh, always kind of that. have, huh? That's been that's been their that, that's been their success. You yeah. know what I mean? With comparison to Call of Duty. Yeah. The the, the problem is the maps are still way too small, and they're just not really vehicle oriented enough to recapture the experience of 1942. Like, I don't know if you ever did this, but like one of my favorite things to do in Battlefield 1942 was to fly the big. It was like a, a beef. It was like the big like bomber with the really long B seventeen. Yeah, the B-17. And then if you people were good at it, if they knew, if the pilot and the people knew what they were doing, you could have infantry riding on the wings of the plane. And you could have oh, yeah. like three to five people in each wing. And then if you were very careful, you could take off and you could fly them over the enemy base or objective like a paradrop. Mm-hmm. And because you didn't really have like a helicopter or like a, a troop carrier plane in that game. No. So, because you were intended to use jeeps and stuff as troop transports, you weren't supposed to use the planes. But, right. and then what they would do is at the beginning of the game, the usual sprint of grab jeep, go to the central objective or whatever was involved. But if you were playing with like a relatively organized group, you would have people doing the B 17 drops where you would drop the infantry into the objective. And mm-hmm. then the bomber would try to bomb the tanks and jeeps trying to drive into the objective from the other direction. And it right. was really fun. There's no, there's no strats like that in mm-hmm. in Battlefield, I guess it's five. They went from one to five. Um, yeah, uh, you know, fucking... Whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I mean, they went from four to hardline, so... Right. I mean, so I'll give you an example of when I tried, like, one of the fighter planes in Battlefield five. You basically have to constantly loop to stay in the boundaries of the map. Like, they're just not big enough. It doesn't... Like, this was already a problem in Battlefield three. Right. Because you've got like this like MIG fighter jet that's supersonic and you're like just constantly looping to stay in the battle area. But the maps in three and four, especially the ones designed around the more vehicle oriented conquest stuff, those were still bigger than what's in Battlefield one and five. And five is like, I think in terms of map size, actually worse than one, Um, partly because they have a lot of urban maps. So it's just like, uh, I mean, it's fun, but it's. Oh, is anybody ever going to make a 1942 style game? Like, <laughs> fellas, <laughs> indie indie companies remaking old AAA games has been a thing for a while now. Could we like get a you know I don't want to say 1943 because EA actually did make that, but yeah, you know, yep. just like 
a, a Battlefield game that's based more on how like one and two were Battlefield nineteen forty two yeah. and Battlefield two. Just were. how they felt. Battlefield two yeah. is really good too. Yeah, no, I played I played the fuck out of it. Oh, I, we um, all did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's actually uh, so we're we're approaching like an hour and a half. So I'm gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna go ahead and cut. Um, Chris, thanks for coming on. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. It was great to talk to you. No problem. You too. You got anything you want to plug? Uh, so, uh, yeah, the, the book is coming along. Um, we're going to final editing now and I've retained an editor who will hopefully get off vacation soon. And I worked through the support queue for the book a couple weeks ago. So we're at, I'm trying to maintain inbox zero on that now. And I have a printer for a print version. Um, yeah, my, my goal is to actually transition from writing my own books to becoming a publisher for other people's books with Lorepub, lorepub.com, L-O-R-E-P-U-B.com. And um, I'm hoping to kind of get a publisher to go that's focused on restoring original uh, computer science resources, uh, publishing new books, new resources, that tries to just make the best possible books in terms of like how educationally effective they are. Like not just sure. like, cause what a lot of publishers do is they just try to like play content coverage, like new technology comes out. Oh, we got to get a book about that. Right. Right. Not what I'm going to do. I'm just going to publish about stuff that I think that, you know, like really needs like a better, better resource. But yeah, I've got a, a printer lined up. They usually work with university presses. They mm-hmm. seem to make some really quality, uh, textbooks so i'm really looking forward to working with them go ahead and get the the title of the book in there too oh yeah yeah the the book i'm working on is uh haskell programming from first principles if you want to check it out it's haskellbook.com and uh yeah hopefully it'll be finally finally done soon very cool man well once again thanks for coming on listeners uh feel free to tune in uh, monday friday and thank you for listening. Goodbye, I love you. Spitting icicles rip right through the flesh. Smoke bombs with every breath. The sound of children screaming. Pinch myself, I have to wake up. Afraid of dreaming. Sound familiar? Bad dreams can kill you. Deeper the sleep, the realer. Man, I feel you. Bad dreams, sad scenes, and fear. You don't want to have to wake up here. Bad dreams.